welcome to episode three of the All and Nothing podcast. I'm joined by Elliot. How are you? Hello. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm feeling good because Spurs look good. Let's just get straight into it because yeah, I need to. I need to talk about Spurs. We okay. played. We played well this weekend, right? We we did. We obviously won three 0 objectively on paper. Really, really good result. And I want to be happy about it. And I do have really good aspects of that game that I want to talk about. But everyone's talking about how we have this unbeaten run with Conte, how we look great. But like, but, but his system is clearly there. There's an identity that we never had under Nuno after four months or whatever it was. But I think any team that's not Norwich probably beats us in that game. Surely because... If you look at the opportunities they had, any any good team probably would have capitalised. Our, our defence is looking good in the sense that I think Ben Davies is a changed man at left centre-back in a back five. He's not fast enough to be a wing-back, but he's faster than the average centre-back. So it's, it's good, it does work out, and he looks great. Eric Dyer, again, looks great. He's having his resurgence under a new manager like he does every other time. Davison Sanchez is Davison Sanchez. We'd rather have Christian Romero in there. But somehow we're still getting caught out consistently on the break, which it, I, we are leaving such massive gaps that I feel like if you, even though Chelsea aren't necessarily playing at their best recently, I think if you put Chelsea in there, they still beat us 3-0 again when Conte is supposed to be the man that's preventing that from happening. And we've only conceded one goal, obviously, in the past four games in the Premier League, which is good. And it is a sign of that there are things working. But I'm just not... I'm too affected by the past Spurs to believe that there's really something going on here, like something really good, you know? Yeah, I mean, having watched Match of the Day, it's if Norwich had finished half of their chances, like probably would have knocked your confidence a bit in the game and could have easily been a 2-2 maybe. But, you know, the thing is, they didn't finish their chances, you won. And, you know, that's the result. Like, you can't can't change that. Yeah, so. that, that's football, isn't it? I mean, I shouldn't be sad or angry that we won. No. Because it's not like uh, a new no win where we beat Man City 1-0, but we didn't, like, did we deserve to beat Man City 1-0? Like, probably not. Yeah. And, yeah, definitely. So, I, I, can, I can feel happy about that but one thing, thing to is, feel oh, I, I think that having the like having a defined system where like you know where players know what they've got to do you have a role you do your role that's it like obviously that's what every manager wants but it didn't seem like you had that under Nuno it yeah. seemed like some players were trying to lack for other players deficiencies you know actually i think that's a really good point that that is a really really good point yeah so maybe when you have someone like conte who's won as much as he's won players are willing to buy into the system more and compared to nuno who hasn't done much in his career obviously he's done really well wolves to get them was it top 16 in europa league yeah we got to around the 16 i believe yeah so to get them to there but when you have someone like Conte who commands a dressing room it it's quite surprising to me though why that didn't work under Jose because you you could say exactly the same for him 
So why didn't it work under him if it's possibly going to work under Conte? The, the biggest problem with Jose was that he kind of had this air of finished about him already, didn't he? He yeah. had obviously won with Man United. There was no denying that. And he got sacked, but he'd always been sacked before from Chelsea and Inter and Real Madrid. He always got sacked eventually. But I feel like everybody knew coming in that Jose was done. He like he was like he he wasn't supposed to be like he oh, was he, supposed to be the the man and everyone knew he, I he, he was wasn't a Chelsea guy why is he going to Tottenham but so is Conte yeah true. I, I think I think Conte I think Conte's more mercenary than Jose I feel I feel like sometimes I would say Jose seems more like someone who is a traditionalist in football whereas Conte through his managerial career, career at least seems very mercenary just go for the job get the job done on to the next place he's not bothered about the legacy sort of thing whereas i probably would have thought that about jose until he took the tottenham job but he also he, he also took the man united job as well and i, I feel like a lot yeah. of chelsea fans would see that as a bit of a betrayal uh, considering that man united were basically their their main rivals during the mid-2000s competing yeah. for the league but I think that the reason that Conte's came in and commanded such respect is mainly that he is he has won recently and he is winning. He hasn't not won really. He's what won seven of the last nine leagues that he's been involved in. He's got this ability to take good teams, sometimes subpar teams, and turn them into mercenaries, unbelievable winners, and very quickly. Yeah, like he turned Inter Milan into like he finished fourth of them the first season and then finished first the next season. He ended the ten in a row that he, he started, started with Juventus. With Juve. Yeah, he took Chelsea from tenth from the season before into a, a, a team that won the league, but arguably they were already a team that was good that, enough that to do capable, that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that what he's really doing for me at Spurs right now is showing that we are not Harry Kane Spurs. He has scored what one one league goal this season, but we I won three. You need won to be getting off. I I would I wouldn't be playing Hurricane, but Conte said that he he wants to play Hurricane because that's fair enough. He is he is Hurricane at the end of the day, and we we won three 0 with him on the pitch. Whether he scored those goals or assisted those goals or not, we did win with him on the pitch, and I think that it's kind of given I I'd say a good few Tottenham fans a good confidence that when Kane does go it's okay we are not we are not defined by him and when you've got players like Son on the pitch Lucas Moura who is on his day a world class footballer he he really can be one of the best just not consistently enough but under Conte you kind of assume that maybe this is when Moura starts to pick up and keep going like his footwork and just the goal he scored against Norwich was unreal. It was like if Messi did that, it'd be in yeah, that was highlight reels for very good goal. months. And then yeah, I do think his um like his ability on the ball is when he's firing, he is so good. Exactly, and when you've got players like that that are willing to die for the shirt, let alone the manager, it 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 starts to fill me a bit of confidence. I know that I, I'm saying that I'm still nervous about the defence but obviously Romero is injured he is by far our best defender 
we're yeah. looking to bring someone in in January. Once I, I once we sort that out, I'm feeling very very confident, very confident. And one of the the bright sparks of this team is Oliver Skip. He is so young, but he yeah. is so so good. Because we had Pochettino. I remember way back saying he will be a great midfielder. Jose comes in, calls him the future captain of Tottenham, and Conte has said that he could be one of the best midfielders out there with that drive. And then Skip's come, Skip's got two man in the matches in a row. He's like, what, 20, 21? Yeah, he's quite young, isn't he? And his uh, people keep talking about he's like a number six or like could play in like a, a, a double pivot role. I think they're knowing the fact that this man is an unbelievable playmaker and his passing is sublime for for such a young age. He's developing at such a rapid rate. Like I am a huge, huge fan of Billy Gilmore. But I I honestly think that Oliver Skip is getting up to that level. Like I think if you put Skip it uh, say Skip Scottish and he gets to play in that Scotland team, people are going, Look, he's doing it on an international level, it just happens that he's English and England have one of the best teams on the planet. Yeah. And I, sort of uh, midfield as well is such a packed place for England that there's not much chance of him probably getting in the squad. Not anytime soon, you wouldn't think. But yeah. then I, I saw some discussion online. Is he like Calvin Phillips? I, I really rate Calvin. I've watched him in the championship and I've, I've watched yeah. him come up the leads in that. Same. Um, if, if Skip is ever to displace somebody in the future, I feel like it could be Phillips because Phillips is slightly older and he is really, really good, don't get me wrong. But I, it's maybe a bit too soon to be talking about, but I think that Skip is developing at such a rapid rate well that's that's the thing so obviously Declan Rice is looking like he'll probably be future England captain if I had to put a name on who I would pick for it I'd put him and he is one of the best players in the England setup currently like probably one of if not the best holding midfielders in in the world but he's much more of a box to box player in this year so really, if you're able to drop someone in that like holding midfield role, you're not going to drop Declan Rice because he's just so much better than Calvin Phillips. Like I'm not saying Calvin Phillips is a bad player in any way. Like 99 other international squads he gets into, just happens to be that England have someone that can fill that role perfectly. And if you have someone who has youth on their side, why not get them in earlier to then build help build them into a long-term team i i completely agree it's that is an internal england problem at the moment that they just have too many good players in all the positions basically (laughs) like everywhere apart from goalkeeper Um, i i i rate pickford i don't care what anybody says like uh, for everyone he's good yeah, yeah, no, I, he's a liability when he's playing for Everton, but he he's never put a foot wrong for England. Even if people like want to say that he's 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 got this mistake in him, I've not seen him make a mistake really for England. So why, I do feel think? like Ramsdale could be. Um, but how how does Ramsdale now. how does he come in and displace a man that's he has not put a foot wrong for England for years? Yeah, but you could say that about. How would Skip get in and displace Calvin Phillips? 
that's true, but it's different for a goalkeeper. For Calvin yeah, Phillips, definitely. he could get subbed on. Skip could get subbed on. They they can split the time. You don't split think, time for a goalkeeper. I think shot stopping wise, they are very equivalent. Probably, yeah. I would say they're very similar on what they provide shot stopper. I just think Ramsdale's distribution is so much better. Like what he does with his feet. I know what people like to say. Like, I know that's what people say he's good about Pickford is his distribution, but like they are similar in ways on their shot st- stopping but just Ramsdale's distribution short passes long passes medium range just everything they I don't think I've seen him really miss one so I, I think that if you're just looking at it in that sense then it you're just getting a like for like on the shot stopping and you're just, you're just making your um making your distribution better you are right and Ramsdale is all around a better keeper for his distribution especially in the modern game he's got to be good at that it's just so hard to dis- displace somebody who has been a mainstay in the England team for so long in goal and been so reliable too like, oh yeah I, definitely it's got to be hard for Southgate to just outright be like all right right Jordan you're done you're a bench you're a bench for England now I, that's got to be really hard to do I, I definitely agree with that like that can be said for like working with Joe Hart as well. Joe yeah. Hart never really set for wrong, e- even though City f- shut. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. all good things have to come to an end, don't they? So yeah, I'm a I'm a huge advocate for Joe Hart. I, he is my goalkeeping hero. I love him, even if he's at Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> I I choose I, I I will him to do terrible when he's in his Celtic shirt. But everything <laughs> before didn't do that brilliantly. Recently, did he? Yeah, in no. the Europa League. No, he's, he's he has his moments, you know. <laughs> he has his moments. So, anyway. what what are your thoughts on Tottenham long term success with under Conte? Because obviously there were those quotes that came out, and um, he said he realizes this. He has a lot of work to do. It's it's probably going to be his big, biggest challenge, and he's not a magician. Yeah, I mean he's so, not wrong, is he? He's he's not wrong that no. That he's, what's crazy is that give or take a few players, the Spurs team a few years ago was really good. It was. Um, yeah, definitely. But the, it seems that people have gotten older, their development's maybe stalled. But he's doing what we, we said before in last episodes, that he can turn players who are subpar into really good players. Or maybe yeah, not subpar, like, but just bang average. Like Victor Moses. And I am seeing a Victor Moses-esque transition for Ben Davies. Like, and Eric Dyer. The people that matter. The people. The, the problem that Spurs have had has been defensively woeful. We, he might be able to turn these boys into the men they're supposed to be. But... Well, do you think so many players end up playing their best football under Conte? You look at Lukaku last season in Serie A. Yeah, I know he didn't get golden boot, but the way really he was good. playing, he was unreal, which is what warranted Chelsea paying ninety million euros. Oh, something like that, something crazy. Yeah, and now he's back to Man United. Lukaku can't really do what he was doing at Inter. Lukaku. <laughs> there's there's such just something about Antonio Conte, and trust me, I hated this man when he was at Chelsea. Yeah. I did not like him. I respected him when he was at Inter. But my God, he 
is he is he going to turn the Spurs team into winners? I just ah, uh, it's got so fun. The Conference League. Roma are in there. I don't know. Like the, the thing is, Celtic are it's in there one too, of those man. trophies where it's like, do you want to win it and then be known as the team that won the Conference League, or just not win the Conference League? Because it. I, I. I. Would you take any trophy? I relate to Mr. Rory Jennings on this so much. A trophy is a trophy. I do not care what kind of trophy it is. Like I remember on an episode yeah. of Kickoff, they were talking about the League Cup's not really it for Tottenham. They need something bigger. And Rory was like, no, that's it's exactly what Tottenham need. Like, they and need he's right. We just need a trophy. And if, if that's Conference League, if that's uh, the FA Cup, whatever it is, I do not care as long as I get to see Hugo Lloris lifting a trophy. That's good enough for me. And Conte's done his job. Obviously, we want to win the league. We want to win everything we can possibly win, compete in the Champions League. But as soon as he gets us a trophy, he's doing what Poch couldn't, what Jose couldn't, what Nuno couldn't. And that that's enough for me. But I genuinely think the, that the he could take us thing to bigger is, heights. I, I think you're... He's going to get a lot more spending than Poch did. So I think what Poch for sure. did for you guys was amazing. So it's just one of those things where obviously you have to sort of contextualise it. Well. See, I, I've been reading a little bit about some, some Pochettino stuff. And we all know Spurs supporters love Poch. And for good reason. He yeah. turned Spurs into a subpar mid-table team, occasionally Europe team, to a consistent Champions League team. But... Getting your Champions Tact. League final as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he did that as well, especially with no transfers that season either, which was nuts. Yeah. And an injury list that went on for days. But looking at him now, at PSG, tactically, the problems that he had at Spurs were his substitutions were bizarre. His in-game management wasn't always right or consistently right. He would make bizarre decisions. It seems to be the same problem that he's having at PSG and it's just on a significantly bigger stage than ever before. And it's starting to make me think that uh, Poch has hit his his limit, you know. I don't know if he's going to be world-class like everybody thought he was. So I think the issue with PSG is you have six, seven names that are always starting on that team sheet like there you can't not play like who you can't not play Neymar 200 and something million pound player right yeah whatever it was you can't not play Mbappe you can't not play Messi you can't not play Marquinhos you can't not play Hakimi that's five players there already that I've named off but then that's that is true you, there is a problem like, there there, there's an issue in that he has too many players that he needs to play just straight starting every game pretty much but if you so look think, if you look at that City game if you look at the pass map for it quite clearly he is sacrificing the team dynamic and how they play to shoehorn these players in and it yeah. it doesn't make, like I understand that he maybe has feels pressure maybe they're not directly telling him that there's pressure but he maybe feels it in the air oh, he I, has to play Hakimi and Di Maria but if you look at the pass map the, the players if, are so yeah. just not in position 
they are all in the cent- center of the pitch and you're just he's just putting in players that aren't necessarily meant to be there because he feels like he has to play them and i feel like he maybe kind of did that at spurs where he just put the thing is if you say about the pressure thing where he maybe isn't being told there's pressure but he's feeling it. you have a team with messi neymar mbappe like that you you that is basically you should be winning the champions league just with those three names alone like if you gave pet one of those three players we could win the champions league probably but i think like the, we, the the reality is that pep would bench one of them if they needed a rest if he felt like they were weren't playing as well Poch is playing Mbappe game in game out, and it's uh, like we we call it Mbappe fraud, <laughs> literally last episode. But it's causing more problems for Mbappe as a player because he's getting played so much that obviously his performances are going to stall out because he's not getting a chance to rest properly. And I think that as a manager, you just kind of have to make a decision at some point that you're you're benching them, and it's not because they're bad, it's not because they're this or they're that. They're just tired. And they need a rest. Just because he is one of the biggest names on the planet, doesn't mean that the man doesn't need a rest. And Hakimi or Di Maria or that can play. Or that you don't, or that you have to start him every every week. Exactly. Like, d- does he need to start against Nantes like one hundred percent during the week? Probably not. Like, I, I don't know. The the whole pot stuff is very bizarre to me. And it, it, everyone was also it says that it was a terrible decision to ever let him go from Spurs because we've had this bad period. But he had hit his limit at Spurs anyway. And you were in a bad place with him at that point anyway. Well, yeah, like, obviously he got us a Champions League final, but that was that was a miracle. That wasn't, like, obviously part of it was him, but it was straight up just a miracle, man. That was like, a Lucas Moura. Yeah, that was him up. being a world-class magician. Like, that, like that, that's... That was just luck at the end of the day. And to be, he's also worked wonders above all, but and Harry Kane was injured, and somehow Lucas Moura and Laurenti became like main men. And about six months from that point, we weren't even in the European spots, and we'd just been kicked out of the League Cup by Colchester. <laughs> like, he had to go. Uh, and now it's showing that despite this horrible patch that we've went through, we have ultimately got Antonio Conte, who is a, a manager in his prime. That even Jose at the tail end of his prime before everyone said he was finished won the Europa League, won the FA Cup with Man United. Manchester United. And finished not second. To, yeah, not a good Manchester United side at all. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's a tough one, man. Overall, back to the main point of the question before about him around about Pochettino. Yes, I think Spurs do ultimately succeed this time. I never thought they would with Jose, I never thought they would with Nuno, but I really feel it this time because I'm seeing bang average players turn into top class players I rest my case <laughs> I think that's I think that's fair enough I think we should at least see a trophy in the next two seasons FA Cup this year mate got Morecambe in the third round <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, Charlotte's livid that they drew fucking Leeds West Ham drew Leeds oh did they I, I honestly haven't seen the and other draws so of course they got Swinton man of course Liverpool, they did Liverpool got Shrewsbury which is quite funny for our football chat. Oh yeah, Callum Shrewsbury man. Yeah, also that'd be funny watching there. him going to the their way day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Anfield. Oh, okay, it's Kira versus Callum. It is. I think we all know who we want to come out on top of that that fight. Shrewsbury. 
Yes, yes, for sure. Lot. Sorry about that, Kira. Shall we move so on to Man United, United or Man City? United? I think United. Let's do it. Yeah. So, good start. I, I saw yeah. that. I saw the. I saw the dirty reds walking past my my cafe <laughs> on the way to match day. It, it yeah. looks good, man. They look good. Yeah. I don't want to believe it, but it's there. I think that we have to give at least a little bit of a note to Michael Carrick. I grew up loving Michael Carrick. I would. I wouldn't even deny. I was up until I was like nine. I loved United, but I think everybody did in Scotland just because of Ronaldo. So I, I have this affection for Darren Fletcher and Michael Carrick. I just really like those midfielders. And he went undefeated with his club, the club he won every trophy there was to win with. He, yep. what, what was it? He won three and drew one or something like that? Or like two, one, one two, one, drew two, one? drew one. And he left, obviously. That, that's him. He's, he's out of my United, and it's a question of what comes next for him. And I think they were actually playing decent football under Carrick. I don't think yeah, it was. Yeah, they, they looked obviously a bit it, it was there to it was there to put plaster over an axe wound sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. That, that is true. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe if Newcastle go down because they have that clause where they can sack Eddie Howe. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe saw him go there. You know, I I think he would. He's a Georgie, isn't he? So yeah, I don't know what side. I don't know if he's a. What side he's from? I'm I'm gonna hazard a guess and say Newcastle. That's just because I don't like Sunderland, so I'm just gonna yeah. say it's Newcastle. That's what I have in my mind that he's a big Newcastle fan. So, but yeah, but yeah, yeah could also go back, maybe go to West Ham, help with coaching there under Moyes. It's not a big help, it's not a bad help idea with one of the under squads. I think that he should. He's Obviously, free games is nothing. You can't judge a manager off of free games. Yeah. And he has been part of one of the worst spells for Man United in history as a coach. But I feel like he he should go now and get some coaching experience with a different team, different dynamic. Maybe do a John Terry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, manage like an under twenty threes team, like from a big team like like Steven Gerrard did for Liverpool. Go out there, you gain some different experience, and then is Michael Carrick. A manager five years from now for a bigger side, is he? Is he going to be like a manager that's like, man, Carrick's half decent, by the way. Well, that's from free games. Just, so, just quickly on the whole Ollie situation, I saw someone make a bloody banging, banging tweet where they said, um, in in fifteen years, Divo Carigi will be uh, Liverpool's interim manager or something like that. Just coming off, the, <laughs> <laughs> based off the fact he's uh, coming off the bench and. It's true. Watching it is actually it. true. He's un- he's unreal, man. It's true. <laughs> Difficult. Do you know he's twenty six. He's only twenty six. He's been at Liverpool for like seven seasons, man. I can't believe he's as complacent to uh, stay at Liverpool and not go off and but play he, for a smaller team and start. He's he's won the Champions. He he actually scored a a goal in the Champions League final. You know, like yeah. And he scored. I mean, the he's big the reason goals. they got to that final. Yeah, he scored the biggest goals in recent Liverpool history. He scored that goal against Everton when Pickford messed up. Yep. It's. It, it, I I kind of see why he doesn't want to leave because he is a club legend. He had he's started like thirty five times in however many seasons, but he's a club legend. So. Yeah. Well, why would he leave? But back to the, the point at hand, Manchester United, and Rangnick had his first game. Yeah. 
And what have you seen? I mean, I was partially falling asleep by the time I was watching it on Match of the Day. But <laughs> what I did see, they looked very composed. Like, they, everyone knew what they were doing, and they got, like, pressing's not something to easily train into. No. We know this, like, when managers come in that want to change systems to that fast-paced press hype, what, what every manager, what Frank Lampard said, every manager wants to be, they want to be high up the pitch, pressing. Yep, yep. It's not easy for some players to adapt and for everyone to get the composure to do it at the same time and cut off Make sure that all spaces are covered and stuff like that while you're like keeping this pressure up. Like, yeah. it is, it's, it's difficult. And yeah. I'm going to eat my words here, but Fred looked good. I said it last episode. Fred would be elite under Rangnick. And, and I'd know, just like to point out, he was elite under Carrick as well. He was pretty good under Carrick. And do you know what I think it was? There wasn't the massive disconnect between holding midfield and the attacking portion. Yeah, I, like, I think that's it. Like, I, like Fred's short-range to medium-range passing, really good. He's not Van Dyke. he can't launch it halfway up the pitch and perfectly land it at someone's feet. He's not Paul Scholes, he can't do that. So, But when he just has to make the passes that count, that build up the play, he was doing it and scored the winning goal. A good goal too. A really good goal. Yeah, it was a really good team goal. I've I've said for ages that I like Fred. I've, I've liked Fred for like a couple of years now, ever since Man United beat City in a derby, like in 2019 or something. I said that Fred was unreal that game, and ever since then I've stood by my man. I don't like United, but I like him. And this is it. This is his redemption. He is about to become the the Brazilian Fred that we all know. He plays really well for Brazil. He's about to play really well for Man United, and I'm I'm gonna savor it because I got to call a fool for saying he was gonna be elite, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, I think the whole team as well looked really good. I mean. Ronaldo was even pressing, which I was very surprised to see. I think the man just wants to win, you know? And if that means that pressing, even just a little bit more than normal, yeah, I think he'll do it, just because it's, he, he wants to see United win trophies. He wants to be the man that led United to the glory days again. And one thing I'm surprised, sorry, one thing that I'm surprised that hasn't happened is change of armband. I don't... That... that that's the one thing that still baffles me and the only reason that's not happened is because Harry Maguire is an 80 million pound centre back it's got to be that and the fact that I guess does a manager want to come in and disrupt the dressing room in that sort of fashion and almost demoralise one of your main centre backs the the most expensive centre back you can't while we can easily say from the outside that he needs to be disarmed and that taken off of him and benched. Yeah. It's got to be hard as a manager to come in to a group of boys that have known each other and played with each other for multiple years and then say, you're not good enough to be captain. You're not good enough to start. You're getting benched. Why not, why not do what Pep does at City every year and have a vote for who they want as captain, vice and third? See, some people think that's a dumb idea and I disagree with those people because I think that... I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's smart because people say that no, it should be the manager who makes that decision because they're the person who picks the leader. But the they know players who the leaders know are. who they want to listen to. Exactly. Who they 
have the faith in to manage, like control it on the pitch. Like, sorry, but Ruben Diaz, second season at Man City, has had the captain's armband a couple times this season. Yeah, because he got, commands that presence, doesn't he? Yes. Like, just the way he controls that back line, the way he communicates with Rodri or Fernandinho, and he's obviously when Fernandinho's on, he has the armband, but the way he just has the presence, he just... Like, as much as it hurts me to say this, I don't think Phil Foden will ever be Man City captain unless it's on a basis of being there long enough that he's basically got it for that reason. Yeah, but, I think that's... Uh, that's Phil like, is I would love that. to be the captain. I, but. I love Phil Foden. He's my favourite player on that squad. I think he's fucking amazing. But I can't sing his praises enough. But if we're talking about who should be Man City's captain for the next five years... Uh, the next five years after Fernandinho leaves it's got to be and the players have even voted this Gundogan or Diaz like, I don't see De Bruyne as a leading figure he doesn't see he seems very much more of a passive player to me yeah I can see him having his moments where he's just like it's Ben, it's ben Foster moment where he walks in the change room and he's like your shit your shit your shit but I don't see him being the man who's there to do that week in yeah. week out Gundogan Ruben Diaz, Fernandinho for sure, all seem like the type of guys that are basically going to be like, right, you're all shit. Let's back up our ideas for the second yeah. half and move on. Anyway, we were talking about same removing Harry Maguire <laughs> captaincy. But yeah, I, I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, yeah, it's easy for I us did... to see it, but it can't be done In like practice, that. yeah. The next question is, what if Rangnick succeeds? What if this man somehow turns Man United? What if he pulls a Tuchel and wins the Champions League with Man United? Does he? I, does he become the consultant after that, or does he remain manager? That was the only condition that he signed the contract that he got the consultancy for two years. Yeah, but so I th- what, I what think if they he, come and offer him the job? What if they go right? Well, you can. Have I the think job he's sometime. pretty set on the consultancy thing because he's because we did a RB Red Bull the Red Bull group. What he's was doing over at Locomotive Moscow, he seems like he wants to be a project builder. And living five minutes from Old Trafford, I can tell you that that area is a shithole. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's <laughs> it not is. nice. You know from when you came down, not nice. That area needs massive development. I mean, I was speaking to, I've told you about this guy that came came my work, followed United around from the 1990s and went to the week where they won the Prem, the FA Cup, and Champions League. Yeah. He said they need to just like demolish Old Trafford and build a new stadium at Carrington, which I think is a very interesting idea. The Old Trafford is a bit of a shithole. Like it is. It's falling yeah, apart. It is. It's also impossible. It, like if you're sitting at certain points of the stands, you can't actually. There's no signal. Yeah, and you can't see the other stand. Like my dad was there uh, yeah and part of he the, was, he the was scaffolding like, blocks part of the pitch doesn't it it's yeah because he was like they, they were saying oh Sir Alex Ferguson is here everyone clap haha and my dad was like I can't even see him it, it, like they're saying where he is and the roof covers him I can't see him and I was like that is bizarre <laughs> they have a train line that runs right by it <laughs> that makes it really hard for him to do any work to the stadium whereas you look at City and they've transformed State of the, the area facility yeah, transform the They've really area. invested. But I think that partially that was the the owners trying to show good Sports faith. washing uh, thing. Uh, Spurs are doing the same. Spurs are trying to do more for the community so, around them with uh, the new stadium and stuff like that. 
and Newcastle yeah. are going to be doing the same. Which if if anywhere needs it, Newcastle would is yeah, a great place for it. Would be good for the area in Newcastle if they got something like the CFA. Yeah, I think the Man United have just gotten away with it for so long because they were already massive that people weren't really acknowledging that they were lacking in those areas as a team. Like, that's yeah. not it's more than just a team, isn't it? It's the community around the team and supporting it's, it's that community. A, yeah, it's a training ground and all that. Like, their training ground is a literally a group of, like, three fields. It's Man United. <laughs> you expect the best of the best. Yeah, that's, that's what this guy that comes in my work says. Like, they should build the biggest and best stadium in the world in Carrington. That's what he, he was saying, like, he thinks they should do. But they would pack it out week in, week out as well. It would be... Full. Yeah, I know. The fans would come up from London. It'd be Tuesday. It'd be <laughs> Wednesday. I'm to continue my point and you fucking got me there, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, like it'd be a fucking cold, wet Tuesday night, and yeah. eighty thousand, ninety thousand people would be there. A hundred thousand people would be there because it's Man United, and they just let the fucking stadium rot. And yeah, Man United just do my head in. Well, you know that's what happens when you don't have good owners, I suppose. At least your owner has invested in a stadium and. Yeah, I mean, we're super in debt from it, but my god, it looks beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah, and you have those pints that fill from the bottom. Oh, so cool. Longest bar in Europe as well. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, mate. Don't have a trophy, though. Oh, do, I, do you have a sponsor that rinsed into you with a dog? Don't, that was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, no. Spurs are a joke, bro. But no one annoys me, right? I know this is not Man United, but I don't care. We are like if we're struggling if we've waited this long to get a sponsorship for the stadium, right? Many many teams have went from just having their the like the, like Swansea, the Liberty Stadium. I'm pretty sure they had, and then it got renamed to whatever the sponsor is. Fair enough, they decided to go against all morals and change the name of a stadium that was deep rooted in the team for a sponsor. Why did why did Spurs not just do that? If they were going to change it anyway, why are we sticking with yeah. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Why don't we just keep it as White Hart Lane and it'd be fucking massive and be sick? But no, we're Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, possibly Knights oh, Stadium. Oh, are you? I thought, I, I thought you were still White Hart Lane. No, I mean, fans will call it White Hart Lane. I'll call it White Hart Lane. Yeah, most people will call it that. But if you look anywhere, like on Sky, on like the, we have an official Twitter account for our fucking stadium. It's embarrassing. And it's... <laughs> This Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I, I, was, I thought the AJ uh, Anthony Joshua fight was marketed at White Hart Lane. I don't think it was. I think it was Tottenham okay. Hotspur Stadium. Fairs, I did not know that. And I think it's because they wanted it to be like commercially sound nice when they do doing their NFL stuff or having Anthony Joshua fight there. It's the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's not. Oh, the the Packers are playing at White Hart Lane. They're like, what the fuck is White Hart Lane? <laughs> like, whereas they hear Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, like, oh, that's a football team. I've heard of them before. So that's fuck a off. soccer team. Fuck off. Let's just call it White <laughs> Hart Lane. <laughs> well, to be fair, all of the stadiums in America are named like whack things. Yeah, dumbass stuff. 
There's one, like, I'm not, no, I was about to start talking about basketball. It's a fucking football podcast. Right, so Rangnick succeeds. Do you think he takes the this consultancy anyway? Do you think he, le- yep. like, say he wins the Champions League, he goes, right, mic drop. Bye, boys. <laughs> yeah, I think he does. I think that's what he wants to be there to do. I think he'll probably be already working closely with Fergie as to what they can do to build the club up. And maybe having someone that has a history of doing it will potentially lead the Glazers to, I don't know, invest more, help possibly do, do these sort of things. Potentially, I don't know. Obviously, it's hard to say. But it's definitely going to be one of those interesting things to watch. One thing I do want to say quickly about Ragnik is everyone's gassing him up, godfather of German football, yada, yada, yada. He's won two trophies in his whole managerial career. He's won, I think he's won DFB Cup. And he's won Bundesliga too. That's all he's won. So everyone expecting him to come in and work miracles and win something with United, I think, are probably overstating things. That's, that's all I'm gonna say. That's my piece. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to disagree with you because I have also had the same things. I just like to also look at the fact that he could turn them into a powerhouse, which oh, is kind of exciting. Yeah, definitely. But I think that to he get obviously gets called the Godfather of German football and all this shit, but. It, it's one thing to be the godfather of German football and another thing to implement those things you talk about. I could be the greatest lecturer at uni in the world and know all the information about graphic design, but I might be a shit graphic designer. Like, yeah, just I mean, because he can talk the talk doesn't mean he can actually implement it, make it work. Clock can imp- the, implement it. Yeah, that's, that's can implement it. Two of the people that he has influenced the most have won... Two, they've won two Champions Leagues within the last three years. Exactly. But what's he won? Nothing. He's been sparked out. Nothing. Locomotive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one. <laughs> it's not like they care. Oh, my God. They're Russian fans, are not they? Well, to be... No, that's true. Did you see that um, Abramovich tried to pay Locomotive Moscow not to release him from his contract? That is outstanding. <laughs> I love that kind of shithousery. I actually I really fucking love that. <laughs> I mean, if he was doing that to my club, horrible man. Would hate him. I mean, I, I also don't particularly like him too much because he's a, the Chelsea owner, mid Chelsea, Chelsea. But that's fucking brilliant. I really do like that. <laughs> that yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> if I were Daniel Levy was trying to do that, I would fucking. I'd actually quite like Daniel Levy a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, that's as United. I don't really have much more to say on. No, neither. Um, I just I wanted known that I think Fred's elite. I think you, know, <laughs> you you could potentially be right. We'll see over the coming months. I wonder if all the the TikToks calling him shit will stop. <laughs> Mate, I'm gonna fucking clip up me talking about Fred being outstanding from episode two and now, and six months when he's lifting the Champions League trophy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to clip it up and I'm like, I told you all. I told you. <laughs> so, one thing I want to talk about is Bernardo Silva, in my mind, is currently the best player on the planet. We had it last year with Il- Ilkay Gundogan for like a solid two months. And now we have it with, I believe, with Bernardo Silva. A lot of people probably say Mohamed Salah's been better. But I just think... Bernardo Silva offers so much all around that Salah doesn't. 
Like, I'm not saying what Salah does is bad by any means. I think Salah is a fucking amazing player. He is brilliant. One of the top players in the Premier League in the last five years, if not the best player in the Premier League in the last five years. Been outstanding. But when you look at what Bernardo does for the team as a whole, Man City, he drops deep into the midfield. He's progressive. He... He scores goals. He assists. He does so many things. He cr- he has he's in the ninety four percent for shot creating actions, ninety six for non penalty goals. He's ninety ninth for prog- progressive carries, ninety ninth for touches, ninety ninth for progressive passes received. He and he's just his numbers are his stats are insane. And I know what people some people say that obviously the classic line stats are for mugs but <laughs> stats don't lie like the, these are factual things like yes Salah's 99th for non-penalty goals 99% off for non-penalty XG insane but just Bernardo Silva is a more complete player offers so much more to Man City in like a variety of roles than Salah does for Liverpool, I think. You know what? I was I was going to play devil's advocate to try and argue that Mohamed Salah is better. Oh, I'd I'd love, do, I'd, I would love. I would, no, go go for it. Go. Uh, see, I because I I love Bernardo Silva. I think he's a baller. I do think he is one of the best in the world. I think Mohamed Salah is one of the best in the world. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying Salah is bad. I think Salah is the. I would say Salah is the second best player in the world. I think that we are, to put this into a, a different perspective, that obviously we watch Messi and Ronaldo and they do one week one's the best, the next week the other one's best, and it's just this constant back and forth. And I do think we're having a little bit of an element of that, where Bernardo Silva does something. I'm saying Charlie's. Charlie had a toy and she was shaving it. Yeah. I think that we're having a like one week where Bernardo Silva is great and then Mohamed Salah will be great and then Bernardo Silva will be great and it's just this constant one-upping battle they're maybe not in that battle in their heads but as a viewer as a fan I feel like they are and but like Mohamed Salah in the past however many games has like 17 goals and assists contributions gonna say isn't it 19 goals and assist contributions in the last 19 games something like that yeah it's only one game where he hasn't actually been involved in stuff as one which, pretty which sure is insane it's criminal like, it's, it's actually it's wrong like that doesn't make sense how is but then you have bernardo silva who is single-handedly making it's like got, man city it's got been to really the point good, where oh. with man city's midfield we don't need kevin de bruyne anymore which is Wrong. Like I don't, I don't think we act like I think we could sell Kevin De Bruyne and be in the same position we are now. You're right, which is criminal because it's Kevin De Bruyne. And He's unreal. Just but to say, we were going to sell Bernardo Silva for forty million euros to Atletico Madrid in the summer. I knew forty million. It's so wrong. Why was that even considered? But then you can say the, the same about Raheem Sterling, bro. Like. He's doing really good right He's now. He's doing so good now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. But, but I think that uh, every City fan and every 
football fan with a bit of a brain knew that selling Bernardo Silva would be a huge mistake. Oh, I'm 100%. Very, very glad that he's didn't just for the the excitement value the thing that is, he brings. I, he's not he's not put in a transfer request. He he's did say in the summer he does want to go and play out in Spain. But he's not put in a transfer request. He's not done any he's not tried to force him about. He's still he's came into the season and is playing probably the best football of his career. He's not having a hurricane situation where he's wanted to leave and then has just bottled it. Exactly. And he's only like, 27, man. He's only 27. The thing is, I, I love Bernardo Silva. I wouldn't have any ill wish for him if he does get a move in this summer. Like, because he's made it clear. It's fine. But, like, he's stuck around and he has given us such a good performance. He has been, played so well. He's been City's so, best player this season by far. Yeah, without without a doubt. 100% without a doubt. So, but is he better than Salah? I, I I think there is easily there is a very easy argument to not an easy argument. There's a hard thing to argue there because Bernardo he plays midfield one week, he plays up front the next. He's he plays centrally, he plays on the on the right, on the left. He I just think he plays such a variety, and it's like. There are times when he's on the ball, and what he does is like it's like magic. It's like inset. It's just I don't know how he does some of the stuff he does. Like that goal against De Gea. Like how did he and the one on the weekend against Watford? The one, how the one he, at the weekend was just a... where he slid it through from that far out, but also managed to play that pass to himself. I'm like, I I was in the pub watching. That. I was like, what the. F- I was like, what? Like, I had no idea it went in initially. It's, you know what, you yeah. are right. As, as a player, he is so much more dynamic than Mo Salah. Mo Salah basically could play anywhere on the front three. Bernardo could play anywhere in front of the back line, it feels like. You could really put him anywhere, like midfield up. Maybe a park holding it. midfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, but am I ever going to expect little Bernardo Silva to play on the midfield no but I could expect him to play literally anywhere else which is mad yeah. I I still think that week in week out they're, it, it's too hard I think it's really too hard to define it I they both are unstoppable at points and they obviously yeah. I, don't, I was going to say they maybe have off games that they're not as good but like that's not true they've both just been consistently great this season I think it's impossible to actually say who's better. Yeah. Both, have, I, I both have played every game possible for the squads this season. I believe. From a neutral's position, I think it's too hard to pick. Well, Obviously, Bernardo from a City position, one, you're yeah. going to say Bernardo. From yeah. a Liverpool fan, they're going to say Salah. Yeah, and neutral, I, I, I don't know. Man. The thing is, I, I think there is a argument to be made for both. And I think that just speaks for how good they are. Yeah, yeah, that does... That's how it has to be seen, I guess. You're right. I, I don't. I, I can't even pick. I mean, but I, I was gonna, but I can't. I, I would have said Bernardo, but then I thought a bit more Salah, and yeah, that that run of games just is insane. Yeah, it's like, wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, it's gonna it's gonna ruin Mister Robert Lewandowski's aim for the Ballon d'Or, I feel <laughs> like, and that annoys me somewhat. <laughs> 
I'm going to feel robbed next year when he doesn't get it, even though next year if he doesn't get it, it'll probably be rightfully given to Mo Salah or someone like that. It's, it's going to hurt. <laughs> Any more on that? Uh, no, no more on that for me. I, I, I'll just end up saying the same stuff over and over again. Well, I want to talk about Rangers just a wee bit. I've not got it in our podcast notes, but I do yeah, want cool. to just quickly mention that that is now... Uh, four wins out of four for Giovanni von Bronckhorst. The first time that's happened since, I believe, the 60s for a uh, new Rangers manager to win their first four games. Is, I'm feeling like... like I did feel this almost immediately after Gerard left, but it is definitely feeling now like it was 100% the right decision for Gerard to leave and Gio to come in. It felt like betrayal at the time, but the reality is the squad had stagnated a wee bit and needed this this boost and while there feels like there's maybe the defensive frailty still and we're not 100% there yet still four out of four wins we're going into Europe Ryan Jack is back who has went out with an ACL tear was out for six months and then has only just really started playing again he's getting minutes at the weekend he got minutes just passed it feels I, I was nervous about Rangers' attempt to get back-to-back titles but I'm I'm a lot a lot more confident under Geo than I was under Steven Gerrard. The the big telling point will be Rangers v Celtic on the second of January. I feel like because we might lose a game by that point, it's almost definite that we'll draw a point just because there's eight games in December. Same for Celtic, but and just Celtic are looking good. They're looking put together just the same way that Rangers are, and I think we're going to go to the end at this rate, unless one team has a winter break, uh, after the winter break has a lull, like has happened to Rangers in previous seasons. I just feel very, very confident, and I'm really intrigued to see what he wants to look for in the January transfer market. And Joe Rebo is unbelievable, and Fashion Sakala is my favourite player in the planet. <laughs> what I will what not stop do you singing. think is needed in the January transfers? See, that's... At one point... I would have said a defender. I would have said we need another centre-back because Goldson had mentally checked out uh, because he is looking for a move uh, at the end of his contract, which is fair enough. He's done his service. It would be great to get some money for him in January, bring someone in to replace him. Um, But I don't know because Hadji's firing on all cylinders. Aribo is in the best form of his career. Ryan Kent, Ryan Kent. He's... Gio's got Morelos working again. We have Kamar Roof as a backup. Bastian Sakala is, like I said, my favourite player on the planet. Midfield, we've got Ryan Jack coming back, who's one of the best defensive midfielders in Scotland. And mm, the Tavi's there, Nathan's there. Calvin Bassey is young, but he is coming into his form really, really quickly. He's a left back, but also playing centre back. Philip Hollander's coming back from injury. And we've got Nikola Katic. Uh, he was by far Rangers' best defender, but beside Goldson and in uh, the twenty nineteen twenty season, yeah, twenty nineteen twenty season, and then he got injured in pre season before our invincible. Uh, he got an ACL tear and he was out for the whole season. Never played, and he got shipped out on loan this season, which was oh. bizarre to me. I, I understand they maybe wanted to get him like fitness or stuff, but Katic missed the entirety of the Invincible season when he'd been such a solid defender, so I'm hoping maybe so we, yeah, I was like, maybe we recall him, like the, because I don't think he was 
he was great for us. Why did we ship him off? Like it wasn't like he wasn't good enough, and then he got an ACL tear. So it feels like we're stacked in all the positions. I think the the only place that really needs looked at is defensively because Connor Goldson's checked out, and I I other than that, we're firing in all cylinders. Maybe just uh, could could we bring in a, another attacker to like morale? Maybe it'll be good, but I don't think it'd be worth it. <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't know. I'm just. I. I'm so confident in our squad and our squad depth at the moment that. I. I don't know what's next for us, which is kind of exciting. Uh, not yeah. fully knowing what Geo's plan is is a little bit thrilling because we're playing really well. So it's like, well, he's not going to just let us play well and stick with that. He's always going to be like, right, we need to keep playing well and develop. So I don't know what's next for Rangers, but I'm very excited. I went from devastated to excited in three podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think Geo is uh, like doing very well for you guys. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, especially that, the, that's all the that worries of Gerard leaving. I think Villa's looking really good. Villa are looking a little bit too good. Why aren't you getting relegated, Mister Gerard? Um, <laughs> I wanted you to fail. I didn't. But however, I did. I I'm very happy to see that the Battle of the Snakes um at the weekend, Leicester v Villa ended with the worst of the two snakes winning and Gerard. <laughs> I, I don't actually feel like they're both snakes I find that quite funny I did I saw the Scottish football subreddit that every, the people were like calling them snakes it was the, like the old the old snake derby um just because of Brendan Rodgers and Stevie G obviously but I was like I, I'm happy to see him do well and Villa look good and I might have to eat my words where I said I don't think they were good enough to fight for Europe uh, next season because in their current form and the think, way that they're going I think if someone has a slip up they could be on it for they, they, they'll they be right there I really do think that now and I didn't think that before I think and it I could also, be even this season you know it, you know it could be it really 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 could be and I, I saw an interview <laughs> from Steven Gerrard with Jamie Carragher that was filmed recently about his Rangers exit and he said that he understands that it was terrible timing and that unfortunately he couldn't pick the timing but it was just right for him, for his family and alright, settle down Charlie and and it made me it made me not dislike him as much (laughs) like I didn't dislike him really because I'm happy with Rangers now but it's fun to say that I wanted to get relegated, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thing I did want to touch on quickly, actually, to do with City, is in our match against Villa. So, do you remember I sent you this tweet? Which tweet? So, in our squad against Villa, we were missing Carl Walker, Imeric Laporte, through a red card, that is, John Stones, Gundogan, oh, yes. De Bruyne, Ferran Torres, and Phil Foden. And we still played so well. Oh, your squad depth is unreal. Your B team is better than most people's A teams, bro. That's... Oh, it's so wrong. Was that... Was the Villa one that Bernardo Silva goal? Where it was like four passes? Or was that Watford? Yes, yes. That yeah. was that one. That was... Oh my God. Beautiful. That's another case for four Bernardo passes. Silva being the best on the planet. <laughs> Honestly, I said to, I was watching that and I was saying when it was happening, or I saw the cross coming. I said to Charlotte, I was like, I was like, he needs to hit this on the volley. 
Boom. It's been so wrong. That was when oh, I had like my that... four games up at once, and I just turned and looked, and they just saw the break, and it was, it was oh. magical, mate. It was so magic. It, that, it was such a beautiful goal. Such a beautiful goal. That game really did show that your squad depth is just immaculate. And yeah. that, that it doesn't... Injuries are obviously bad for every team, but not as bad for you. Yeah, definitely. Like, I uh, think obvi- obviously the advantage of having the amount of money that's been put into the squad. Yeah, for sure. But also the way that we played that well with the B team players like Ake even put in a bloody amazing shift. Like, yeah, I, I think that it's uh, worth noting as well that the squad that Pep has brought to. The game against Rebel Leipzig. Five He's youngsters. Got three youngsters in there. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. We had five, we had five training with the uh, main squad. I, I like to be fair, maybe five. I've said three because I thought it was three, but you're also the city fan and I'm not. But he's bringing youngsters through as well, and uh, that's what's even scarier. It's the fact that you're saying money, and this this B team is is like obviously fueled by the influx of cash. Yeah, like we have, but you also have, as Gary Neville that. said, all these fucking. David Silva regens. You can either sell those players for mega money or they come into your team and they become world-class players for you. It's a win-win, no matter what happens. We're saying, that's just so wrong, man. Yeah. Oh, no. It, the thing is, though, it does show how good our academy is. And as much as people will say about the spending and that, like, if we have enough, like two, three more talents coming through like Phil Foden then that also has to be put down to such an amazing academy side. I mean, Cole Palmer's looking like he'll be just like that. You've got James yeah. and Kate. Um, you've got Eze in there as well in our academy. So we have a like we have a lot of potential that can come through our academy into the first team. And um, Cole Palmer recently signed a five-year contract with City. So obviously that's... Like a, a five year professional contract, not just a yeah a, um, unders contract. So it's massive. Yeah, Which, I want um, to note it as well just before we end this podcast because we are coming to the end here. That in my football manager save of Rangers, firstly we're unstoppable. But I signed Cole Palmer on loan and uh, snuck in a little optional uh, to buy at the end of the loan for twenty million, which I have for Cole Palmer, and he's unreal in the game like he is in real life. And I feel like a finesse city, and I'm going to buy him at the end of the season. Because <laughs> he's unreal. He's he scored against Man United in the Champions League, so you know he's unreal. <laughs> Anyways, he that's it, that's good. the end of end of the podcast. Thank you yeah. very much for everyone listening. If yeah. you want to go and check out our TikTok, we are starting to upload stuff onto there. The first thing that's been uploaded is a story about the helicopter Sunday in the Scottish Premiership. 15 years ago so if you want to hear about that head over to all and nothing pods on tiktok same with our twitter all nothing pods uh, as well and that yeah that's everything thank you for listening yeah thank you for listening make sure you follow subscribe everything everything you can do to support us if you're listening on youtube give us a like maybe if you are listening on youtube maybe give us some topics you might want to hear us discuss that we've not thought of yeah Thank you for listening.